Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. What's next for the British monarchy and the Commonwealth after the death of Queen Elizabeth II? Learn where you can stargaze during TIFF, a great tribute for a Hamilton business icon. Get ready to wiggle, waggle, and walk this weekend. And is quiet quitting really happening? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. She served us all with strength and wisdom for 70 years. As we grew into the diverse, optimistic, responsible, ambitious and extraordinary country we are today. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. That's the voice of Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau reflecting on the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, the longest reigning monarch in British history and Canada's head of state. Uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 96 at Balmoral Castle, her Scottish residence, uh, with several members of the royal family by her side. And her eldest son, Charles, has ascended to the throne and is now known as King Charles III. And the king has indeed left Balmoral Castle in Scotland this morning to head to London. And the process of this now 10-day procedure to mark the queen's death and her funeral will take, as I said, 10 days. With a look back at the extraordinary life and reign of Queen Elizabeth II, here's Global's Jeff Semple. In an ever-changing world, she was a rock of stability. Queen Elizabeth II famously said she had to be seen to be believed. And over seven decades, with each passing milestone, thousands turned out to see Britain's oldest, longest reigning, and most beloved monarch. She's probably the most famous woman in the world, probably the most admired woman in the world. I mean, reigns span X number of years, and and she accepts it and realises that this is phenomenal. This is the first monarch who's reigned through a modern media age, who's reigned through so much social change, from the Cold War, through the jet age, the space age, the digital age, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, I mean, you name it, she has seen pretty much the 20th century at first hand. Her reign was as long as it was unexpected. Born Elizabeth Alexandra Mary on April 21st, 1926, she was still a child when her uncle, King Edward VIII, abdicated the throne. Suddenly, Elizabeth's father was king, and she was next in line. The young princess made this promise. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. She made that speech when she was 21, saying that uh, however long her life was, she would uh, devote it to her country and to the Commonwealth, and she stuck to it, and I think that's why people admire her, because she really has stuck to her word. That devotion to duty would be her hallmark. She was a teenager when Europe went to war and begged her father to let her help, first with her wartime radio broadcasts. Thousands of you in this country have had to leave your homes and be separated from your fathers and mothers. My sister, Margaret Rose, and I feel so much for you. And later, joining the services as a driver and mechanic. During the war, she had a chance encounter with her distant cousin, Philip. He was serving with the British Royal Navy in the Mediterranean and Pacific. 
They exchanged letters for seven years. As onto the famous balcony came the bride and bridegroom. Their wedding in Westminster Abbey in 1947 was broadcast on BBC Radio to 200 million people around the world. The newlyweds never expected Princess Elizabeth was about to become queen. But when Elizabeth's father died from a heart attack, the 25-year-old was thrust onto the throne. For the queen, it must have been devastating. She was out in Kenya, no expectation that this news would arrive, and she knew everything would change, her life, her family, and it would be duty from now on. Her coronation was one of the first televised public events. The young queen quickly showed a knack for protecting tradition while embracing change. I very much hope that this new medium will make my Christmas message more personal and direct. Her first televised Christmas message in 1957 became an annual tradition. Half a century later, she was still at it, pushing the boundaries with her first tweet, even the occasional photobomb. But the rise of technology also meant the world was shrinking, and so too was her empire. More than 25 countries declared independence during her reign, Others loosened their ties, like Canada, signing its constitution in 1982. Her reign spanned 12 Canadian prime ministers, from Pierre Trudeau's famous pirouette to Canada's second prime minister, Trudeau. Thank you, Mr. Prime Minister of Canada, for making me feel so old. <laughs> Her Majesty made 22 trips to Canada, more than any other country. This country felt like a home, away from home always taking time to meet and greet her royal subjects. It was just awesome to look at her cool once-in-a-lifetime chance. Many credit the Queen's personal popularity for the monarchy's survival, but one of her lowest points came during the mid-90s, after three of her children divorced and a fire gutted her Windsor Castle home. It has turned out to be an annus horribilis. After the death of Princess Diana, the Queen at first failed to join the public outpouring of grief. But she soon bowed to public pressure, delivering a heartfelt TV address and emerging the elder stateswoman. So what I say to you now, as your Queen and as a grandmother, I say from my heart. And before long, that grandmother became a great-grandmother. The palace released this image of the Queen and Philip with seven of their great-grandchildren. The photo was taken in 2018 before the arrivals of Archie and Lilibet, named after Queen Elizabeth. Their parents, Prince Harry and Meghan, resigned their royal duties in February 2020, delivering a shock to the palace. And just two months later, the royal family lost another member. Prince Philip died peacefully at Windsor Castle at the age of 99. At his funeral, a scaled-down affair in the COVID-19 pandemic, the Queen sat alone in the pew, a widow after 73 years of marriage. But within days of her husband's death, Her Majesty was back to work, holding virtual royal audiences due to the pandemic, and as always, keeping calm and carrying on. One of the last times the family appeared all together was to mark her platinum jubilee, celebrating 70 years on the throne. The 96-year-old was forced to miss some of the party due to health issues. And despite scandals surrounding some of her children, grandchildren, even the British Prime Minister, the Queen, as ever, 
seem to rise above, making a surprise appearance on the balcony of Buckingham Palace. To have held the country and the institution together all these years, to, to, to be running a, a hereditary institution that's as strong today as it was when she took over, I mean, that's, that's really what the best she could have hoped for, um, and she's done that. There by her side, three generations of future kings, all heirs to the British throne. Her legacy will endure, but for a woman who steered the royal family through three quarters of a century, it's hard to imagine this place without her. Jeff Semple, Global News, London. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As her 12th Canadian Prime Minister, I'm having trouble believing that my last sit-down with her was my last. I will so miss those chats. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau reflecting on his memories of Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away yesterday at the age of 96. And the question now is, what is next for the monarchy and how will things play out over the next few days? Patricia Treble is the founder of Right Royalty and a royal contributor to Maclean's and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Patricia, good morning. Good morning, Mark. It feels like the world has changed. It's so Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, had a lovely thing. He said, he said, you know, to Britain, she's your queen. To the world, she's our, she's the queen. And I think that's it, is that she's been simply, for 90% of, of Canada's population, more than 90%, she is the queen. She's the only head of state we've ever known. And it's going to take a while to get used to it, the change. What do you think her legacy is going to be? I think her legacy is going to be one of continuity. Um, you know, she came to the throne when she was 25. Um, the monarchy was, as I've said, I've said this before, was kind of, you know, was basically stuck in the 1930s. It froze after the war, uh, during the war and after the war. Um, and so she really, the up, hmm? No, no, keep going. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, and so she, she left it stronger than she inherited it. I mean, empire was dying. Um, you know, Britain was pretty much bankrupted by the war. And she formed it into the Commonwealth. Uh, and that really was her passion. If there's one thing, it is, it is the Commonwealth. Um, and that is going to be her legacy. And it's a disparate group of, of countries. And, and the fact that some countries who are not former British colonies or protectorates actually want to join now is, I think, a sign of of what it symbolizes, and what it symbolizes is unity and friendship. But it's also, she's going to be known for modernization. She modernized the monarchy very slowly, very incrementally. But for anyone who's ever seen the first season of The Crown, they know just looking at at everything that's happening now, this is not the monarchy of the 1950s when she inherited the throne. But very quietly and very, um, very much on a measured scale, the Queen doesn't do anything rashly. She never, she always wants to think about things. Everything is a pause behind the signs of the times. But look, when she came to the throne, divorcees weren't allowed to be in the royal presence. And now there's a divorcee who is queen. And more importantly, like, you know, Boris Johnson brought his girlfriend to Balmoral Castle when he was prime minister. No problem. Come on over. So, and it's a sign of you follow the times. You evolve as society has evolved. There is now a 10-day mourning process. What are some of the things we are going to see and hear over these next 10 days? 
The big ones we're going to see is probably tonight. So uh, King Charles III and Queen Camilla, it's taking me a while to get used to this, um, they just boarded a plane going back to London. Um, they have to go back to work. And that's part of the issue, right? It's private mourning, but it's also public mourning. He is going to be addressing Britain and the Commonwealth tonight, likely tonight, um, the expectation. So that'll be early afternoon, our time. And tomorrow is the accession council. So this is a meeting of the Privy Council. It becomes the title gets changed. It gets changed once um, for uh, a reign. And this is when Charles will take the oath. And it's kind of one of those formalities you have to tick. And then there are proclamations. And this is the fun part. So you have back in the day, of course, before social media, before Twitter, before radio, you had people go out to the cities and they literally would stand on a street corner and they would say, hey, King, monarch is dead. We have a new monarch. This is the name. This is, this is who you're loyal to. And those proclamations are going to happen. Um, and then what we're going to see is a slow buildup. The Queen's coffin will be taken to Edinburgh will be taken down to London. It will lie in state. Um, so the, the people are going to have a lot of opportunities to witness um, the spectacle. And it is going to be a military spectacular. Um, and I think it's going to be all the indications are that it's going to be something that, quite frankly, people have not seen since the death of her father in 1952. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Patricia Treble, founder of Right Royalty and a royal contributor to Maclean's and reflecting on the life and legacy of Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away yesterday at the age of 96. The uh, I feel a bit for King Charles III as he has really been put in a position where the, the, his only ascension to the throne would come through his mother's death, which has to be just an enormous weight on an individual. What is the public opinion of King Charles? So, I mean, yes, he's 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 the longest serving, you know, heir apparent um, in history. He's the oldest monarch to ever ascend the throne. Um I think their opinion of him has been improving of late. I mean, I think it's now 20 year, 25 years since Diana died, and I think a lot of that, the animus has, has, has tempered. Um, because people also see all his work for the environment, for sustainability, for youth, um, employment, they, that is now coming to the fore. And I think that's increasingly going to come to the fore. The other thing is, in the last few years, as the Queen has reduced her schedule, especially because of the pandemic and especially, you know, because of age, um, he has been taking on more and more duties that were regal duties. And so, for instance, um, he opened um, with Prince William, he opened Parliament, um, you know, he sat in the main chair. And that's the sort of thing, getting everyone accustomed to it. Um, so I think there is a growing realization that, that he is likely going to be a, a short reign, I think, just looking at the math. Um, but I think he's going to be a good king and an influential king because he's already putting in place things like slimming down the monarchy um, and figuring out how to change and adapt the monarchy for the new reality. And I think that's probably what his role is going to be as a transition. We got uh, just a minute just to talk about what you expect King Charles to say later on today when he makes his first public address. I think it's going to be a combination of very personal. Um, whenever he was talking about the Queen in public, he always called her mummy. Um, and then your majesty. Um, it's going to be that personal, but it's also going to be the formal. Um, so it's it's personal. I mean, he's her son. Um, you know, her, her his mother is dead. Um, and so I think you're going to have that emotion, but you're also going to have him paying tribute to her as monarch. 
Um, so you're going to have the private and then the public. And I think that's what you're going to see tonight. It uh, Well, the world will be watching, that is for sure. Patricia, really appreciate your time this morning. I know it's been a busy uh, couple of days already for you, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Don't forget to subscribe to the GMH podcast in your favorite podcast platform. You can hit the follow button and listen whenever you please. Well, it is a huge 10 days in Toronto with the Toronto International Film Festival back in full force after it was greatly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, More than 200 films are going to be screened throughout this 10-day festival. So what's happening this year? Who are some of the stars that are going to be in attendance and where is the best spot to see all these Hollywood superstars. Jody Davis is the co-executive producer at ET Canada and the executive producer at etcanada.com and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jody, how are you? Good, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us today. Um, You know, this is a great example of some of the things that we take for granted until they're no longer around. And with TIFF not being around in 2020 because of the pandemic going virtual last year, just wasn't the same. This year, though, it's back. You must be stoked. Yeah, it's it's amazing to have uh, celebrities back in our city that films to be buzzed about, uh, things to talk about. It's really great. The city comes alive. Our show comes alive. It's just, you know, a great way to restart the season. We're going into our new season and TIFF is always there with us as we start our new seasons. Which uh, actors, actresses, films, documentaries are getting the most buzz coming into TIFF? Um, I think really like it's interesting that um, two music stars are getting a lot of the buzz for a film festival. So Taylor Swift will be here Friday night for her her short film, which is a music video, All Too Well. Uh, she'll be having a conversation with fans. It'll be a one-hour thing. And then Harry Styles is here for My Policeman, mm-hmm. uh, which is a uh, screening on, or having its premiere on Sunday night at Roy Thompson Hall. Uh, it's based on a book. It's about uh, a closeted policeman, which Harry Styles plays. So it does, you know, touch on a lot of interesting topics. Uh, and it'll be an interesting film to see, with, with especially with all the drama going around his other film that's out right now, Don't Worry Darlings. Uh, and I would say the third one a lot of people are very, very excited for is The Whale, uh, starring Brandon Fraser. Uh, people love Brandon Fraser. He's sort of been off the scene for a while, but this is really his big comeback um, in Venice Film Festival, which, which just happened in, in end of August. Uh, he got a six-minute standing ovation for his performance. So a lot of people are happy to see Brandon Fraser back on screen and getting the love that he deserves. Have you seen the film? Have you heard what it's like and how his performance was? I have not seen the film myself. We just are screening it today for our reporter who's going to be interviewing him over the weekend. Um, but yeah, it is a film about a man who is a 600 pound man. So he had to wear a lot of uh, prosthetics and makeup. Um, and he's trying to reconnect with his uh, lost teenage daughter. Um, so there is a lot of motion to it. It's Darren Aronofsky. So, you know, there's a little bit to expect with that. He's a great director as well. So I'm sure it's going to be as good as the hype has made it out to be. I understand that for the first time ever, and I can't believe this when I read this the other day, that Steven Spielberg is bringing a film to TIFF, which he's never done before. No, it's true. Yeah, I couldn't believe it either. Like, I 
I feel like I've seen him at Tip, but maybe I haven't. It's just in my mind. But yes, he's bringing the Fablemans, which is uh, sort of based on his own life. Um, it's also stars Michelle Williams and uh, Seth Rogen. So that is coming. Uh, another, you know, he obviously is a legend, but another legend being celebrated here at Tip is Sydney Portier, uh, who passed away recently. Uh, they are doing a documentary that Oprah is the executive producer behind. Um, she will uh, she will be on the carpet uh, walking as well. So. Halle Berry will be here for that movie. Um, so that, you know, there are, you know, Tiff is really celebrating some big legends this year. So it's really great to see. And obviously fans will go crazy to see uh, Spielberg, Oprah, those type of people. Absolutely. Our uh, guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Jody Davis, the co-executive producer at ET Canada and the executive producer at etcanada.com. So where is the best place in and around Tiff to stargaze to see those Hollywood superstars? I would start uh, on King West, like Roy Thompson Hall is where all the big films are going to be uh, screened and have the red carpets. And, you know, one of the things that's amazing about TIFF is, is the, the fact that it is the People's Festival uh, that, you know, you can get very, very close to, to stars. So if you get in sort of the audience for the uh, the red carpets at Roy Thompson Hall, you'll get very close in the stars. Love it. They they will stop. They'll, you know, take selfies with you as much as they can. Obviously, they have to walk the red carpet, but they do take a lot of time on those uh, with the fans uh, spending there. So, you know, Yorkville is still, you know, some some stars still hang up there. Uh, the sort of hotels around the TIFF light box are, are a good place to go. Uh, Soho House, uh, any of the sort of like hip hot bars on King West are a good place as well. For some people who've never been to TIFF, what are the maybe do's and don'ts or the tips that should, they should be abiding by? Mm -hmm. I, I would say like the do's for sure is, you know, especially if you're going to watch film is, is you know, have, have a game plan of what films you want to watch because you won't be able to see them all um you know stuff is already sold out there's been you know some stuff with buying tickets online but make sure you know which films you want and sort of target those be prepared to line up be prepared that you might not get into everything you want to see hydrate obviously you know it can still be get pretty warm here in september um and then if you do come across a, a slug just you know treat them right right like like they you know most of them will be nice most of them will, will want to take a selfie with you or, or give you an autograph but you know they are also people as well so like don't be too harsh or get too much in their face but you know if you ask them nicely to, to take a picture with you i'm sure they will yeah you don't want to go viral viral for the wrong reason no exactly right <laughs> <laughs> jody appreciate the time and enjoy tiff thank you man you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml special ceremony taking place in this city tomorrow it's going to happen at a park at the corner of Barton and Douglas Avenue in Hamilton. And this fine piece of a parcel of land in this city is going to be named in memory of a late, great Hamiltonian. Here to tell us about it is Reverend Don McVicker, the founder of the Eva Rothwell Center. Reverend McVicker, thanks for joining us once again. How are you today? I'm doing great, Rick. Thanks ever so much for this opportunity. It's just a very, very special day tomorrow, and it's right at 90 Burton Street on the corner of Burton and Douglas, so it's right in the Keith neighborhood. Uh, so it's a little park, but it's a beautiful spot, and it's actually where Joel and his uh, chums uh, played when they were kids, so it's very, very uh, symbolic in that way. Yeah, this park is going to be named in memory of the late Joel Holzman, the longtime owner of Kineski Sports. Why this location? Well, it's worked out really well. I worked with the city for the past uh, four months and worked with Councillor Nan and uh, their, the reps, uh, Alexandra and Steve. And it was just that um, his two chums, um, 
where the they were the ones that were lived lived in the neighborhood so joel would always visit this spot uh so for 50 60 years now they've been they knew of this area and the families lived there and joe Busey, um who's did a beautiful picture of uh, a photographer of joel when he was making kineski pads uh he just lived a block away and his friend paul chambers these are lifelong friends like mm. 50 60 years uh, they all live in the area and, and actually eva rothwell she lived across the street from this park so it's rather all encompassing wow this, this is a phenomenal tribute for a guy who had just made a, an enormous impact in this community well, he touched 50 years of um, of business, and in that time, something very special that many people don't know is that Joel Halsman uh, would have hockey players come in, or players, they would come in, and they didn't have um, the funding to fulfill, to upgrade. So he would quietly take the data side and say, okay, whatever this young man needs, I'll cover the rest. So he did that on many, many times. So a young guy or girl would come in, they need the hockey equipment, and then he would um, just do a complimentary. So it was very, very special. But 50 years of business in 100 years of the Kineski site being there, um, Joel was just amazing because he started when he was 12 years old, <laughs> just fixing bikes, getting them set up, and then moving on to the hockey equipment then the goalie pads and then the business himself like it's very special that he was there for 50 years himself so he he started at Kineski's by just kind of hanging around absolutely there was a little shop in the back that uh, you'd assemble all the bikes and that's where he would go after school and Joel was also a great hockey player himself he played for the Kilty Bees and then um uh, followed him in high school with uh, he played the trumpet in the in the band and he always was the go-to guy on Barton and um, and Wellington Street uh, he was the the mayor of Barton Street as they called him hmm. uh, Joel Hulsman the uh, longtime late great owner of Kineski Sports being honored tomorrow as a uh, new park at the corner of Burton and Douglas Avenue in Hamilton is going to be named in his memory, and we are reflecting on Joel's life with Reverend Don McVicker, founder of the Eva Rothwell Center, longtime friend of Joel Hulsman. You went to school with him. Absolutely, and he was the life of the party in the sense of uh, whatever classroom you went in, you knew that Joel was there because he's always motivating people and happy to be there. Even his uh, teacher, uh, his phys ed teacher said that, you know, Joel would be, he was coaching him in hockey. He'd come down the wing with a big slap shot score goal, but he was always the guy in the dressing room that would motivate the, the other players. And that's what he did in life. He motivated us uh, in so many ways. And his, his son, um, Eric, and his uh, lovely wife Joanne, they'll be there on Sunday to un as uh, a Saturday sorry to unveil the um the uh, sign the city of Hamilton has done a great job because there'll be a beautiful sign there mm. uh, um, and really special is that we, to we had this large piece of cloth that I was able to get from Ottawa Textiles and I just told her I said oh this is for Joel Halsman it's Joel Halsman she said I got many skates from Joel her name was <laughs> Kelly, and she says, I'm going to donate this beautiful cloth. So it's a beautiful cloth that will be on the unveiling of the sign. Awesome. Yeah, that ceremony goes tomorrow from uh, 1 to one thirty, And again, it's at the corner of 90 Burton and Douglas Avenue in Hamilton. I recall a few times going into Kineski Sports, more or less to do interviews, not buy hockey equipment because my playing days were long gone. <laughs> and, and Joel would always have, you know, a gazillion stories. You'd spend, you'd think you spent about five, uh, 15 minutes in there, but it would be like an hour and a half. 
Well, he was the go-to guy, and that's what is really missed. And this park will be the go-to place for people to uh, just enjoy some time. And if friends come together to uh, celebrate that, they'll they'll share old stories. But I was by there twice this week, and what is really nice is that uh, the city has upgraded the park very nicely. There's new facilities for the kids to play. And there's a, a young mom, three kids, and the kids were on the uh, um, playground equipment. But another girl, she walked by, and there's a fountain there, but the fountain also has the uh, the water thing for the dog, right? Mm-hmm. So as uh, she was getting her dog water and she was getting a drink. So the park, there's about 10 trees that surround the facility. So it's nice. There's shade offered. There's a recreation and there's refreshment with water. So all the things that Joel wanted to encourage in sport and life, it's all there in one one little corner of the world. That is a phenomenal tribute to a, 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 a person who had a major impact in this city. Reverend Don McVicker, thanks for sharing some of the stories about Joel Hulsman, and uh, best of luck with tomorrow's ceremony. Thanks so much, Rick. Really appreciate it. That is Reverend Don McVicker, the founder of the Eva Rothwell Center, a longtime friend of the late great Joel Holzman. Joel Holzman Park will be unveiled officially tomorrow at 1 p.m. Again, it's at the corner of 90 Burton and Douglas Avenue in the North End. A longtime uh, owner of Kineski Sports being honored in a terrific way. Having a park named after you is uh, one of the best things I think that a city uh, and a community can do for an individual. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This coming Sunday at Maplewood Park, the Hamilton Burlington SPCA's Wiggle Waggle Walkathon is taking place. And here to talk about it is Heather Vaujois, the Director of Fundraising and Communications at the local SPCA, and Amanda Walter, the Manager of Giving and Special Programs at the Hamilton Burlington SPCA. Heather, Amanda, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having us. Heather, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, Virtually over the last two years, it must be great to finally hold this event in person this Sunday. Oh, we're so excited. Um, Yeah, the last two years have been a struggle. Um, We've had some great support regardless. Um, However, being back in person, I think everybody is craving um, that kind of connection to the community and the connection to our organization. So we are thrilled. And um, we've had a huge... um, number of registrations just sort of coming through daily, which has been fabulous. Um, and we had to pivot because, of course, we outgrew the space that we were already in. So we had to move from um, one park to another so that we could accommodate uh, the growing need of all the people who have registered and the vendors and all the other um, activities that we're hosting. So we're very excited. That's great to hear. Amanda, how did things go the last couple of years? Uh, well, actually, Rick, I am brand new to the organization. This is my first oh, okay. event with this group. Nice. Um, I've been here for three weeks, which is always exciting to dive right into an, a live in-person event. So I'm excited. But as Heather said, we've had tremendous support over the last couple of years. And we know that our uh, constituents are very excited to come and see us in person again. So Heather, how does the Wiggle Waggle Walk work? Well, it's uh, we actually have it on, we can register online uh, at Canada Helps. Um, you can register as an individual or you can join a team. Um, you would show up at Maplewood Park. Um, it's a sort of a more of a relaxed walk. It's more of a stroll. Um, as we change the event, um, it's more of a, I think that Amanda, who's fabulous at special events, um, sees a vision for this. Um, so before it used to be a big 5K walk. Now it's more just come join 
be together with other dog families and dog lovers, um, have a nice stroll through the park and visit the vendors, have something to eat, and then participate in a number of different activities that um, we're hosting. And so are pets invited as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what kind of wiggle-waggle walk would it be without a dog or another pet? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Amanda, a- any sense on what the turnout uh, is uh, going to be expected for this Sunday? Absolutely. We are uh, hoping for roughly 250 participants. Uh, we have a wonderful contingent of volunteers as well that are going to be out in full force. Uh, looking forward to seeing everyone come out. So uh, hopefully we have a full, a full number of people ready to, to party with us. Our guests on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Heather Vaujois, the Director of Fundraising and Communications at the local SPCA, and her colleague, Amanda Walter, Manager of Giving and Special Programs. We're talking about this Sunday's Wiggle Waggle Walkathon, all in support of Hamilton Burlington SPCA. It goes Sunday at 10 at Maplewood Park. Uh, Heather, is there a fundraising goal that uh, the SPCA has in mind? Absolutely. Ideally, we are going to hit the $100,000 mark um, as all funds that we raise for the event will go directly to our animal care team to help support animals in need in our community, sort of on site as well as in the community that we serve. So we're hoping to meet, re, uh, reach about 100000 We are very close. We're at about close to seventy. Uh, we have We'll have a lot of people showing up the day of. People can fundraise online, but they can also fundraise in the community. That is awesome. I want to get both of your thoughts on this next topic. And Amanda, we'll start with you on this one. During the pandemic, we saw a spike in adoptions. And many pet owners, as the pandemic kind of drew on, and they were either going back to work uh, for you know a couple of days during the week or maybe all week long in that physical workspace, they had those, I guess, sober second thoughts about being a pet owner. What impact has that had on animals and the SPCA? Uh, We've definitely seen an uptake in animal surrenders for various reasons. You know, we we never judge uh, a person's reason for relinquishing a pet, but we do hope that uh, with this event, we can raise some more awareness of what we do um, and the need in our community for a little bit more support for our organization in order to home these animals and rehome these animals that need new care. And and Heather, just a, a quick thought on that as well. Absolutely. Uh, Amanda hit that. <laughs> um, we do receive a number of different surrender for different reasons. Um, one, of the, one of the services that we provide is ideally we keep people and pets together. We want to keep pet families um, as a group. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why we're seeing the upkeep, definitely to the one that you spoke to, Rick. However, uh, we have people who are ill, people who unfortunately pass away, leaving their animals. So we're there to support. We're there to, um, we never close our doors. We never did during COVID. And we just want to be able to support the animals, support the families, the people who are in need. Um, And as as Amanda had mentioned, we never judge, right? There's always a reason. Um, COVID was a day, a, a time when we saw a huge number of people and families who needed the animal, who needed the compassion, um, the, that piece for uh, mental health support. So we want to keep people together with their pets. Uh, there's just such a benefit in that. Heather and Amanda, I will uh, definitely be seeing both of you on Sundays. I'm going to be emceeing the Wiggle Waggle Walkathon at Maplewood Park. Looking forward to seeing you both and the dozens of others who will be taking part. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. 
Thank you for having us. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The uh, COVID-19 pandemic has certainly altered the way we live our lives and including um, more so than ever what we do and how we do things in the workplace, whether it's the physical workspace or you're working from home. There is a new phenomenon, so to speak, that is, by some accounts, changing the relationship between employers and employees. You may have heard the phrase, quiet quitting. Well, what is it? How does it work? And how is it impacting this relationship? Matthias Spitzmuller is a professor at the Smith School of Business at Queen's University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Professor Spitzmuller, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. Quiet quitting, what is it? How would you describe it? I think for a long time, we have seen the expectation in organizations that employees have to perform at 120%. And there are some sectors where this has been especially pronounced. Think of professional service firms, consulting firms, law firms. And suddenly, there are some employees who say, based on what we have learned in the pandemic and a need to live a sustainable life, we are not working at 120%. We are working at exactly the level of performance that is expected of us. And now some might say that we can refer to this as quiet quitting, as employees are just performing according to their duties. Some could also say that this is actually a positive trend because it ultimately means that employees are taking care of their physical and their mental base of work as well. Now, someone could make the argument that this sort of mindset has been happening for years. Why is it being given rise now? I think you're right that the the need to have sustainable workplace practices, I think, has been discussed for a long time. But we have also seen a shift in the pandemic focusing on what do we really need to maintain our mental health. We do know that record numbers of people have resigned their jobs in the year 2021. So, for example, in the U.S. alone, 48 million employees have left their jobs. And in part also because they were exhausted working in toxic workplace cultures, in cultures where expectations were exceedingly high and where there was just a very strong demand for uh, sustainable work and work-life balance. And I think the reason why this has come up after the pandemic is just because people have reevaluated their values, their lives, what's good for them in a way in which we haven't seen for a long time. You could also see, also say the pandemic has stripped our lives to their bare bones and we're trying to rebuild them in a way that we consider positive. It's a good way to put it. We're talking about quiet quitting with Professor Matthias Spitzmuller from the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. And you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Is, has there been, or maybe it, it, it's already hit its peak or its pinnacle, a sense of resentment from both employer and employee during the pandemic because our world has changed, the focus at the workplace remains the same. We still have to be productive. We still have to you know, get our return on investment. If, if an employer or a manager cannot handle the situation or the employee can't handle the situation, there might be that sense of resentment. Am I on par or am I way off base there? No, I think you, uh, you're, you're absolutely right with what you're saying. Let's also remember that workplace habits have changed fundamentally during the pandemic and after the pandemic. 
when employees are working virtually or in a hybrid workplace setting, they're much less connected to their co-workers, to their managers, to the organizations. And that independence also raises questions in terms of, am I in the right job? Um, is this a place, is this a culture that I would like to be a part of? And I think what many employees have realized is that they would like to work in a, in a setting, in an area that allows them to bring out their best self on a, on a daily basis. And Adam Grant, who is a professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, he described it very well in a tweet just recently. He said that in burnout cultures, people are judged by the sacrifices they make. Hobbies, vacations, and even family time are viewed as distractions to penalize. Whereas in healthy cultures, people are judged by the commitments they keep. Interests outside work are seen as passions to celebrate. And in the spirit of that tweet, I think it shows that quite quitting, it's not only something we should condemn. It's also the idea that people want to live sustainable lives and um, also cater to their needs, interests, families, and hobbies. We've got about 45 seconds. What's the one thing that presidents or CEOs or managers should be doing to prevent that quiet quitting or prevent that employee burnout? Employees, organizations, I think, have to start listening to the needs of employees um, proactively. So the, when employees resign themselves to leaving the organization, and we've seen that in record numbers in, in the last year, that is an, a missed opportunity to have a conversation. What, what is it that you would need to have your needs met as an employee in terms of flexibility, autonomy, but also how can we create a sense of belonging between yourself, your team, and the organization? And I think more communication, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Absolutely. Professor Spitzmuller, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy your weekend. You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.